Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. We're doing part two of the Stacy Short interview, and part one was all about her identity loss around having a child with a serious medical condition that wasn't diagnosed for a couple of years and uh, could have easily died any day, and the and the doctors like couldn't figure it out, and just anyway, listen to listen to part one. And she had finally, like her son had gotten stable and she had started to like get some sovereignty over her life. And one of the ways she did it was she was partying real hard. Well, you lived in Vegas. I mean, give me a break. It's a 24 hour (laughs) town, man. Everything's open here all the time. It's easy to get in trouble. (laughs) right so now part two she's got this new identity loss around her her little brother dying by suicide and so that's what this part two is going to be about and so um let's jump back into where you where i interrupted you to start part two that that you i forget what you said that's okay um as julie said this does deal with suicide. So please, if this is going to be hard for you, um, I definitely understand that and take care of yourself while you're listening. If you choose to listen, please, because it still hits me uh, when other people talk about their experience with this too. So um, so in 2015, I fell downstairs, uh, two stairs actually, carrying Garrett to bed one night and I ripped a tendon in my ankle and I needed surgery. And so my brother, his name's Nathan, um, came for a couple of weeks. To be... And at this point, you're a single mom. You've divorced. Yeah, a single oh, but, mom. But however... you still live in the same house together. Exactly. We still lived in the and, same and house together this, for many years. The, this co-parenting is going okay. I mean, yeah, that's one okay. of the reasons you divorced is that you weren't getting the support, but whatever. It you're... really made no difference honestly and I again I'm not trying to slight him at all but it made no difference because I was already kind of doing this on on my own anyway and so was he by the way so was he because I was working at night so you know he was too yeah so Nate came in um August of 2015 he came for a couple of weeks to chauffeur all of us around and while while my ex was at work and um, you know, take the kids to Taekwondo and pick them up from school and take them to school. And like, cause I couldn't drive, you know, while I laid on the couch and recovered and he was just, you know, he cooked dinner and he really embraced that uncle. And it was absolutely amazing having him there. And so that was in August of 2015. Um, my brother has always struggled with his mental health. He was diagnosed bipolar mm-hmm. and he also uh, was a classic those opioid cases that we hear about in the news all the time still, he got addicted due to motorcycle accidents and the doctors prescribed him massive amounts of pills. Oh, so he had motorcycle accidents. Yep, four. Four. Four motorcycle accidents. Okay. Yeah. 
And then, of course, you have pain in a motorcycle accident. So then he got prescribed opiates. And then, of course, they're addictive. And so they, you, it, you know, it's not something you just give up. No. And this was the time where they were just writing the scripts like it was nothing. And then this was 20, 2015. 20, said? Oh, gosh, it was before then. It was before then. He, I mean, he's been he, he struggled with this for years. So 20, 2009, yeah, it's been a long time. It was okay. a long, a long battle for him. Um, and so they, you know, prescribed, prescribed, prescribed for years, for years. And then the information started to come out about, hey, this is addictive stuff. Hey, people are really, you know, this is great stuff. And so my brother's doctors cut him off cold turkey. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Cut him off cold turkey. And if you've ever been on pain medication and had any kind of withdrawal, it is nasty. It is miserably miserable and nasty. And it, it screws with your head, too. It's not just a physical. It absolutely makes your brain scream at you. And yeah, so um, part of him being able to come in 2015 to help me, I said, you have to be clean. You have to be clean. And he said, oh, I've been clean for six months. And I'm like, okay, come on. Um, I said, you have to be clean because you're driving my kids around. Like, I can't question that. And he's like, oh no, I've been clean for six months. And he used to do that all the time. He used to, you know, start using, come, come off, start using, come off. And he'd be clean, like white knuckle clean it, like cold turkey clean. And it, I just, I was like always shocked at what he would do. It was crazy. So he'd been clean. He came, he helped us out. That was amazing. And he was great perfect uncle. And then in March of 2016, I got a phone call It's 5 a.m. and it was my mother. And she said, I need you to go wake up Jeff, my, my ex-husband. And I said, what, what is going on? She said, I will tell you when you go wake up Jeff. And I said, mom, I don't want to wake him up. Like, just tell me what's going on. She said, I don't, you're not hearing. And so I knew something was terrible. She was and, in Oklahoma, um, your mom? Yeah, they're in Oklahoma. I'm in Vegas. So I go and I wake up my ex-husband and I say, I don't know what's going on, but mom, mom says, I have to, you have to be awake with me. And um, so, so my brother, like a couple of weeks prior, had relapsed after being clean for like 10 months. And um, he got arrested because he was shoplifting jeans out of a mall. Um, he was gonna trade them for heroin. And um, so he was actually in the county jail and they found him unresponsive. And um, There was a little bit of activity at his brainstem. And so because he was 32 and the state of Oklahoma, um, they had to put him on life support and cool his body down to try to bring him basically back to life. And I wish they just would have let him die that day because, because of that rule, my parents had to make the decision 
to turn the machines off three days later. And I, I hate that for them so much. I hate that for them so much. And um, so much stuff came out about his time in that jail. My parents actually sued. And because that jail was corrupt and had had a few inmate deaths, the Oklahoma legislator met in an emergency session and retroacted a law by three years in order to protect themselves from the multiple lawsuits that were coming or in progress. And so my brother's life was worth $150,000. Even though the guy that round was supposed to round, the guard that was supposed to round didn't round, he falsified the records, he admitted that later. The mental health company that's contracted with the jail, my brother called four different times and said, my anxiety is crazy. I'm hearing things like I need help. They ignored him. Um, on the intake sheet, that's like 180 questions long. My brother admitted to being an, uh, an IV-ish heroin user. And he on had the an intake alcohol. sheet into the jail. The jail, yeah. 180 questions, okay. Yep. So he admitted he, to being an IV injection. Heroin user, yep. He admitted which, it. Which means... Honest. Which means you you actually need some medical supervision because you can have problems if you don't get your fix. He also, you know, stated about his bipolar and that he had been taking lithium, and he had that he what had been taking lithium. Oh, taking he, lithium. Okay, for the bipolar because of his right. bipolar, and um, he had an abscess on his arm from shooting up that had gotten infected. Well, the jail decided because his prescription had la lapsed for the lithium that he didn't need it. They weren't oh. going to write him another one. Oh, they just yeah. like all of a sudden he doesn't like bipolar isn't an issue. Yeah, doesn't, right. doesn't need it. Um, but for his abscess, they gave him codeine. A known opioid addict. They gave him codeine, an opioid. So he was thrown into this, you know, up and down through withdrawals for, for like, he was in that jail for two weeks before he died. For, for weeks, he was thrown up and down, up and down because they dosed him with the codeine because of his abscess and then they wouldn't. And then they, but they wouldn't give him his lithium because that, but that's not even a scheduled drug. So how they like justified this, I still to this day will have no, and wait, no with an abscess, isn't that something like you'd give an antibiotic? Yeah. Like like coding is for pain. Correct. And an abscess means infection. It's not on his medical records anywhere. I don't know. That he had an abscess? No, that they gave him antibiotics. Oh. The codeine's on his medical records. Interesting interesting medical i mean i'm of course i'm not a medical person but this is a little bit of basic stuff right yeah 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 oh and so they were giving him the codeine but not regularly so he was like going in and out of withdrawal from codeine while he's not taking his lithium while people who are bipolar sort of stay being bipolar it's not something that like you normally 
some people get better, but in general, if you're taking lithium, it's because you're still like having bipolar symptoms. Yep. Yeah. So um, during this time, so obviously I'm in Vegas um, when they find him. Because of Bryce's condition, I had been fighting with an insurance company to pay for his life-saving infusion that he had had for years, and they just decided to stop paying because and, and, and insurance company. So in case you didn't listen to part one, these infusions are $30,000 a month, and yep. they're life-saving. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so they, now your insurance company says they're not going to... Yeah, so we had to get an emergency doctor's appointment, um, which was, let's see, that was a um, Sunday or Monday, it was a Monday, um, when I got the call, 5 a.m. Monday morning. The doctor's appointment was Tuesday, um, and so we, I went, we went to the doctor's appointment, and they were taking their sweet time as well. It was, it was like a three hour appointment because people were running behind, blah, blah, blah. I had tried to get out that night on a plane so I could be home and see my brother. But instead, because of the doctors, because of the insurance, I watched him pass. Oh, he was and still alive. Him. He was alive by machines. Oh, they, they, so they found him basically dead, basically except dead. Basically with some dead. little, little, brain, little brain, brain activity. Activity. And then they put him on life support. And so you wanted yep. to go and see him and obviously be with your parents. Yeah. Because. That's what yeah. you do during those kind of things. Yep. But instead I watched him, I watched him die on FaceTime. And um, so the last time I actually hugged him was August of 2015. And yeah, my parents had to, have turned the machines, have the machines turned off three days later. Um, I made it home 12 hours after he died. I made it back to Oklahoma 12 hours after he died. So, um, and you asked me in part one, you know, if I had suicide ideation during Bryce's, all of Bryce's medical issues. Yeah, because you had you had said that you had told your husband that you were beyond okay. Beyond unhappy. Yeah. I beyond was. unhappy. Um, after Nate died, I fell into the blackest hole that I have ever been in. And I did consider leaving myself. Um, but the only literally the only thing that kept me here was who's gonna take care of my babies. Who's going to take care of my boys? Because nobody knows Bryce's medical stuff like I do. Nobody. And, you know, I'd already gypped Garrett out of being a mom 
and I couldn't I couldn't leave that was literally all that saved me why did you want to go because I had never been that depressed before I didn't like um I felt like I was failing as a mom I had failed in my relationships I failed in my career and I've also had so I've had a foot surgery and two neck surgeries um so I have chronic pain so that's not fun on top of all of this right and I just whatever little sovereignty I'd gotten was gone now why is that I struggled so much with why did my brother leave I talked to him eight hours before they found him and he said I'll call you tomorrow what time do you get out of work what time are you home and I gave him a number you know I think it's like four or whatever and he was like okay I'll call you at five and I was like okay I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And um, he didn't leave a note. He was just gone. Um, and I felt like I failed him. As a sister, as a big sister, um, because there's seven years between us, he called me his, like his second mom because there were a lot of times that I would, you know, feed him, change his diapers, you know, whatever, because my mom worked. My, my mom was a working mom. And so, yeah, I feel like you fail them. Um, that also led the to the deterioration of my relationship with my parents. Uh, thankfully, I was in therapy at this time. Wait, wait, how how did it lead to deterioration? Um, because my parents refused to get any kind of help, any kind of grief help, any kind of mental help. They absolutely refused. Um, for whatever reason, they still to this day have not. And why did and why did that change your relationship with them? Because they were very angry and taking it out on me. Oh, on you in what sense? Just being very, very short, very demanding, very uh, man. My mom can do a guilt trip like nobody else. and I'm the oldest daughter, have a caretaking, you know, that's the codependency again. And they, and they were just really digging at it. And I was trying to set boundaries and it wasn't working. It was being completely ignored and disrespected. And so, yeah, it, it caused a big rift. It caused a big rift. And there was a year and a half that I actually didn't speak to my mother because of it. Um, yeah so that was fun you lose your brother and then like a year and a half later you lose your mom for a year and a half um and so I felt like a lot of loss and I felt emotionally depleted again and I I had nothing I had nothing to give any you know I gave it to the kids and then that was it I had nothing to give myself so I went back into that not taking care of myself again and um, gained some gained weight that I had lost and wasn't eating in the greatest, my chronic pain was up, got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, actually ended up on painkillers after my brother and his bouts, that, that was rough. 
I felt like I was dishonoring him. I was worried I was going to get addicted. You know, just all of these intrusive thoughts, negative self-talk, um, that definitely set up shop in my head and hung out and just made its way, made its home in my head. Except this time you knew a little more about it, right? Because it, it sounds like you had gotten some sort of control over that. Yeah, so I had been I'd been with a therapist since 2014. Um, thankfully, so we had had an established relationship. We'd almost been um, in in a, in a you know patient uh, therapist relationship for like almost two years at that point when Nate died. And so I absolutely can uh, attribute her to helping me come out of this darkness. I also um, attribute her to making it okay for me to get on antidepressants. So I got on antidepressants. Actually, the day he was found, I happened to have a doctor's appointment that day. And so I went in in pajamas and I said, my brother, my brother's died. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm here. And my doctor was like, here's some antidepressants. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Um, you know, and, and so my health was a struggle for those years too. Um, so yeah, if it hadn't been for my therapist, my boys and that, and the antidepressants, I don't know that you and I would be talking. Mm -hmm. I don't even know that, I, that I would be in place if I, if I, if I had stayed, I don't even know if I'd be in the place to even come and record a podcast with you. Um, because I attribute Nate's death to me actually regaining control of my life uh, three and a half years ago when I finally crawled out of that hole um, and saying, that's it. I'm going to get back to me and I'm going to do what makes me happy and what makes me happy is serving others, but I'm going to do it in a, <laughs> in a safe way this time and not in a huge caretaking way this time. And so a week before the pandemic shut the world down, I enrolled in a coaching uh, certification. And so that's what I did with my, the beginning of the pandemic is I learned how to be a life coach and a health coach. Um, and then I got a triple cert, a, a third certification pretty soon after that in clarity. Um, so helping people get unstuck, stopping those negative talks, setting boundaries. Um, and and then professionally, I went out uh, a year ago. Um, so I was working as an admin someplace and I stopped working as an admin and I've been coaching professionally for the last year. And um, I do attribute that to Nate's death because I don't think that I would have woken up without such a huge loss of, of that. And I want to- What do you mean woken up? Um, out of autopilot, oh. you know, some people stay in the dark night of the soul. That, that was the beginning of the dark, of my dark night of the soul was my brother's death. Of like, is this really the life I want to live? Am I, you know, I'm, I'm a, obviously I'm a people pleaser. Does that make me happy? How can I stop being so miserable in this one life? You know, what am I doing that's causing these, these failures of these relationships? I'm the common denominator in these what am i doing and so just really taking a really freaking hard look at yourself 
and going, okay, let's get real. What is this? What am I doing? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? What could be better? Uh, where am I hurting myself? Uh, you know, and getting really real about what I'm doing in, in my life and what I'm setting forth, what I'm accepting and what I'm giving out, why I'm giving it out. And just got really honest, really freaking honest about my life. And so that's led to an, an enormous amount of change. Um, and I am so proud of myself. I would give so it back. In a but, describe the change. What are, what are the top three oh, changes? Um, <laughs> I've gotten a handle on my codependency and people-pleasing. That has been one of the hardest things to do because I grew up in a household like that. Um, and so I didn't know. Well, and society loves that. And especially oh, from a woman. So it's not just the house of family of origin. It's supported left, right, and center. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that was um, probably the biggest change. Um, with that, I learned to set boundaries and say no when I actually don't want to do something. Um, that also was hard. Again, say yes when you want to say yes and no when you want to say no instead of the opposite. But I also didn't really know when I wanted to say no because my mind and my body were so disconnected that my body was saying, uh-uh. And my mind was like, oh, you could squeeze it in. Like, yeah, I know about know? that. <laughs> yeah. Until the, until the body breaks. That's what Until happens to me. Breaks. It's just like, because I don't know. It's it's like, where is the off button? We can't, it's not visible. No. How do no. you find the off button? Yeah. And um, that has also helped me uh, quell probably about 75% of my negative self-talk. Um, it still rears its head every day, every day, but it's a lot less loud and it's a lot less consistent. And so I can actually hear my voice instead. And that's your true, your true, my true voice, voice, instead of soul, whatever word you want to put to it. Yeah. Yeah. The the one that's, the one that's noticing all of the thoughts in this body, the one that notices what this body goes through, the one that notices what these the brain is making you know that's the one whose job it is to keep us safe and happy the one that can be discerning if it's if it's actually safe and if it's an actual happy or if it's your defense mechanisms saying this is what safe looks like and you are happy when you give yeah i am but i can also have boundaries and give at the same time i don't have to give everything that I have. Um, so, because I used to think that that's what I needed to be happy and safe, mm. but it wasn't, it, it, it's not, that's a lie. It's my defense mechanism. Um, and so I'm the one that says, is this truly happiness and truly safety or is it your defense mechanism? And sometimes that looks a little murky still. Sometimes mm. that looks a little murky still, um, but it's a heck of a lot better than it used to be. A heck of a lot better. Than it used to be. Well, they say tra- transformation takes time. It's a process. Oh, wow. Thousand percent. Thousand percent. 
And being able to coach people through their own transformation actually helps me heal every day because I'll say something to to them and they'll say something back and I'll go, oh, wait a minute. Let me write that down for myself later to to notice or to get curious about or to think about myself later in that context. And so those conversations on the daily help me stay present. They help me stay mindful and they help me heal. And man, that's so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. What does um, heal? Just, what does heal feel and look like to you? Yeah. So uh, first and of heal all, heal from is, what? Yeah. Right. Um, so first of all, it's it's always a journey. There, it's not a destination. I, mm-hmm. I had to accept that there's no way that any day I'll be like I'm healed. Right. Uh, no. It's it's a layer. That, you know, it's the onion layer. Peel back another one. Peel back another one. Um, healed from what? Healed from the people pleasing. Healed from feeling like I was never enough. Be healed from not be, having no self worth, no self esteem, no self confidence, no self trust. Healing from being my own worst enemy and just being awful to myself. I would never, ever, in a million years, say to anybody what I said to myself. Right. Not even my worst enemy. I would never say to them what I say to myself. And there's something so messed up about that, right? Um, healed from not shouldering the whole burden of motherhood, you know, that mental load that we were talking about in, in the first part. Um, not asking for help, as in the I need you to. So example, um, for my youngest son going to school on Monday, um, I was texting my ex-husband of like, Okay, Garrett goes to school at this time. And then I started saying, I need you to pick him up. And then I was like, nope, I don't need you to do anything. You're the dad. This is your responsibility. You can pick him up. And so that's like, that's part of the heal, you know, part of the healing for me is rephrasing what I would have said um, because it isn't as, it isn't as honored or respected when I word it a certain way, I need you to. You're, 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 you're speaking in an empowered, assertive way. Right. Where, where you're not, you're not begging. You're just, you're, you're, you're empowered. It's like you have a right, you have a right to tell somebody else what they need to do, what they need to do. For, for our son. Yes. So I'll take him you pick them up, you know, and, and, but before I was like, I need you to, would you do me a favor? No, you're not. You're his dad, dad, go ahead, parent, please. Um, and I used to not do that. It used to be, would you mind if it, would you, it'd be great if, you know, and, um, because I didn't want to offend anybody and I didn't want to be seen as being a bitch. Right. I wanted to be soft. Well, I can be soft and, and empowered and uh, assertive at the same time. And that is what healing Stacy looks like. I didn't know that before. I thought you could only be submissive and be soft. Not true. Not true at all. So, yeah. Kind of proud of myself. You've come a long way. Yeah. And, and, what a, and what a role model for your boys. Yeah, you know, the coolest thing about that is we're able to talk about the two different sides of me, the before 
and then the after. And um, it's a safe space where they can tell me things like, I was an annoyance to you. And that's how it made me feel. Terribly hard to hear. Absolutely a gut punch. Um, but I'm glad that it's a safe space where he can't say that. And he's empowered enough that he can't say that. Mm -hmm. um, that, that just says so much to me about what our relationship has moved, grown into. And I am so grateful for it. He's truly. not, he's not doing it to grudge you, begrudge you. Yeah. He's, oh, no. it's, it's, this is just, you're both processing the past together and yeah, how beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's his truth. It's his truth. And I definitely want to own that and recognize that. Um, I wasn't allowed to do that. I wasn't allowed to say those things growing up, but actually until like, literally until last week. Uh, last week, I sat down with my mom and dad and had a hard conversation like that. And that was the first time that they didn't invalidate me or get angry. And I don't want that for my kids. I don't want my kids being 46 and then having that conversation with me. I want it to happen now at 16 and 18 so they can have a better adjusted adult life um, and not have to have be in therapy for all for a long time in order to heal what damage I caused. Um, no, that's the word. I don't want that for them at all. At all. Hmm. So how old are the boys now? Yeah, so Bryce uh, is 18 and he just graduated high school. Oh, and Garrett him. is 16 and he's in high school. And uh, Bryce still to this day gets an infusion. It's a six hour infusion. A nurse comes to our house and hangs out and gives him his gold. Um, she's become like family. She's been with us for six years now. Um, we've had some amazing nurses uh, along Bryce's journey. And so that happens every month or every four weeks actually. So uh, not exactly every month. Um, and he is the absolute sweetest, sympathetic, compassionate, complimentary kid that I, and I, and I know lots of moms say that, but like it shocks me um, because if he had been sullen and angry and withdrawn and scared of people, I would have under stood that's what I was expecting because of all the times that he's been held down and poked and prodded and shoved and sick and you know I wouldn't have blamed him I wouldn't have blamed him one bit but he's not and I'm so thankful I'm oh, so yeah. thankful yeah. now if can I just I there's part of the story about your brother that is missing for me and maybe I didn't hear it okay so because we started off that that he died by suicide and then in your description it was talking about he was like given the the opioid pain medication for his infection right. yeah like there's a little disconnect there and that he was that he had was telling people or telling you that the he mental was, health people he was like he was telling the mental health people that he is completely flipping out yeah so where does the suicide part come in 
Yeah. So he had called the mental health uh, contractors that are contracted with the jail and had called them four times that day in one and day. Um, in one day and said, I'm, I'm having auditory hallucinations. My anxiety is through the roof. Like, can you help me? And nothing. Um, and so he was found uh, around 2.30 Oklahoma time, a.m. hanging. Oh. And the guard that he was supposed to round, if he had done his rounds when he was supposed to, he would have found my brother. Probably still conscious or alive. But he didn't feel like rounding at that time. So he lied on his round reports. And then he felt terrible later. And that's how we found out because he did admit it. Well, also, and there's cameras. So he knew he was going to be found out anyway. Because they would have, pull, we pulled the cameras and they, we would have seen that he didn't round when he said he rounded. So they tried to resuscitate him in the cell. They tried to resuscitate, I think they got him back for a minute. Uh, then he died again. When they got him back in the ambulance, then he died again. And then finally they got him to the hospital and put him on life support. So, yeah, he was 32. For history, documented history with documented lithium medication of severe mental illness, bipolar. And I mean, you don't want, you don't wish bipolar on, on your worst enemy. No, it was nasty. It was hard to watch. I had to cut contact with him for a while too because of his drug use. Um, my parents actually tried to get him into rehabs numerous times, but uh, in Oklahoma, there was only one dual diagnostic center. The rest of them wouldn't take him because of his diagnosis. Okay, and, wait, um, wait. So for, for people who don't know, dual diagnosis means you have addiction and you have severe mental illness or you have- Correct. Yeah. There was and so, the, so, so, the, so the dual diagnosis is in general, I haven't worked in, in social work for quite a long time, but it, the problem was, is that you're supposed to get over your addiction before you get treatment for your mental illness. And, and so nobody ever gets treatment for their mental illness because you can't like get over your addiction when getting over your addiction is hard enough. And then don't trying to do that while you have a severe mental illness. It's just like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. No, absolutely. He, he was self-medicating. And so you need a place that treats these dual diagnoses, right, but the places the don't do that. And I, I, I just know this from California. Um, and this is like, you know, I, like I say, I haven't worked in, in social work and I wasn't a mental health worker, but I knew a little bit about it. And I actually tried yeah. to help, um, uh, uh, extended a, a sort of a, a family, not, not blood family, but, um, what do you call it? anyway I help I tried to help a friend who asked me for help for an entire year he was in jail uh psych hospitals and and the street it was this revolving door thing that people with severe mental so he had schizophrenia and and it was this revolving door thing where they just end up going in one door and out another 
And um, and so then he finally, after he got out of jail one time, he came and knocked on my door and he asked me, because he knew that I was a social worker and I knew about like getting services for people. And so an entire year, I brought him to appointments to try to get him some medication for his schizophrenia. Yeah. And, and, the, and the doctor just kept saying, well, first he has to stop drinking. And, and I was like, you're out of your fucking mind. That happened to my brother too. That's why well, part of the reason why his prescription oh. for lithium had lapsed. Oh, and, and so this, this, this doctor was telling me, well, I can't give him a, a diagnosis of schizophrenia because first I have to make sure it's not the alcohol. And I'm like, you have the entire psych um, hospital <laughs> medical records that you're part of that system. And even if you weren't, you could request them. This guy has schizophrenia. He, yeah. He's got paranoid schizophrenia. That's why he keeps ending up in jail because he thinks people behind him are going to like on the sidewalk, he like beats people up because he thinks that they're going to like hurt him. And yeah. so then he gets arrested and then he goes to jail and then he presents so well to, to the judge that they don't think he has a problem, but presenting well and having severe mental illness can go hand in hand. Nate was a master at that. A master. He told me numerous times in his life, oh, I can outthink this. I'm like, no, that's actually your mental illness talking. You can't outthink this. You need medication. He's like, no, I cannot think this. I'm like, oh my gosh, little brother. Um, but that was, the, you know, that's the uh, disgusting part of the mania, right? Is you're superhuman. You can outthink this. And he was, he was brilliant, by the way. My brother was brilliant. Of course he was. Um, and so when his mania was telling him he could outthink it, he literally believed it. He legitimately believed it because he, he's smart. Right. And I was like, oh man, he was, yeah, he was smarter than me, actually. He's brilliant, brilliant kid. Um, there was one time that my parents took him to the only dual diagnostic center in Oklahoma with a $12,000 cashier's check and said, just keep him for 30 days. Please help us. Please take our son help us keep him for 30 days, you know, help him get clean. And they told him because he didn't have a needle in his arm in the last week that they wouldn't take him. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. So my, my mom actually called that center after my brother died and said, I, I want you to know, I hold you partially responsible because we, they, they have the money. They have a cashier's check. $12,000, no insurance, like you didn't have to deal with any of that. Here's the money, keep him for 30 days, not 90, 30. And they wouldn't do it because he didn't have a needle in his arm. Because he he did, he would cold turkey all the time. And it'd be clean for a, a week, a month, you know, like I said, the longest was 10 months. You know, he'd go three months, six months, like no problem. Um, but yeah, our, our, our mental health system needs so much help. Needs it's, so much more help it's, than it's, it's beyond like I I felt like punching this guy in the face and he would just like oh, yeah. snicker at me 
and 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 he knew that I had I at the point at that time I wasn't working as a medical social worker any longer, but he knew that you know I wasn't just anybody. I knew something about mental illness. I wasn't just like because my friend, I think it's like right. No, it's like connect the dots. Yep. Psych hospital, jail, streets. And his mom would pay for a, a hotel, but he'd always get cut, kicked out of hotels because when you have delusions of persecution, you like things don't go so well with people. Sure. Um, sure. And and this and this guy just, you know, and so for an entire year, I couldn't, I brought him everywhere in, in Oakland, Berkeley. And that's where I learned Berkeley was the only place that had a dual diagnosis place. And for whatever reason, it's like he didn't get help there. And, and it's like the places have to be ready to give the person help when the person is ready to get help. Like this going on waiting lists is, is those are, those are death lists, you know, because be. people, people end up dead because they need help when they're ready to get help. And, and because society doesn't have enough services, it's like, well, we'll put you on a waiting list. And then in the meantime, things happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, and so this is, this is one story. And, and so this podcast isn't about how bad the mental health system is, but I just, you know, I just want to point out this is one person one family look you felt like suiciding after this so just because it, it, it impacts so many one person's suicide impacts other like the whole family constellation in immeasurable ways and this guy had made four calls to mental health professionals and he they didn't die anyway yeah. And and that's, I think that's maybe the one, the part that's hardest for me is that he was so honest. Yeah. He was honest in his intake form. He was honest about his experience. He was honest about, Hey, I'm hearing things. I know they're not real, but I, I'm hearing things, you know, and even in his honesty, it wasn't honored. It wasn't respected because he's in jail. So screw that guy. Well, and see, that's the whole thing is that the jails are filled with people with learning disabilities and mental illness. And that's, and so, you know, and I'm not condoning anybody for doing crimes, but, you know, we have to like, look at the whole constellation of what's, what, what is impacting this person's behavior because it, it, if you know, if if people have the support that they need, and if families have the support they need, and if schools had enough resources to give the kids what they need, how many people could actually be accommodated with their their problems and not end up in jail and and not end up dying by suicide outside of jail or inside of jail? It's just there's there's so much prevention that could happen. And then once, and then these people, you know, once they're in jail, then they're treated like criminals when actually this is, this is a mental health problem. Is it, yes, he stole some genes. Absolutely. I don't condone my, listen, my brother stole credit cards. He forged signatures. He stole books from a university to try to sell them on 
eBay, like my, no, I, I absolutely do not condone my brother's crimes. Uh, I, I wish that he hadn't done any of it. It, it was so out of character for him um, as the person I know. So this is the illness talking. This is the addiction talking. Wait, wait, say because, that over again. Um, I said, I don't, I don't, the, the person I know wouldn't have never, ever done those things. So to me, him doing this larceny and theft and all of that stuff, that's actually the addiction and the illness talking. It's not my brother. Um, yeah. My brother was a beautiful soul. Animals loved him, like just naturally. Babies came, loved him just naturally. And so if you know any people like that, you know that their heart is like, I used to say that my brother had the biggest heart um, and it was so pure. When I, when we got the autopsy report, his heart is like larger than the average man's heart at 32 and not in an enlarged heart kind of like disease kind of way. He just really had a big heart. Um, physically, his physiology, he had a big heart and I could not believe that brought me to my knees when I read that autopsy report. Like, I had always said it, and here it is in black and white. Like, he literally had a big heart. And yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked when I read that. Yeah. So, so that, so, you know. Well, I was that, just, um, oh, go ahead. So I'm so, no, no, you go no, So that stealing wasn't him, you know, and those behaviors weren't him, true him. Those, that was the mental illness, that was the addiction, um, and he couldn't fight it. True on his, on his own, it. no. It, it's a, it's a, addiction and mental illness is a systemic um, effort that's needed. And people are oh, left yeah. on their own and families are left on their own. And that's not enough for those big problems. No, not at all. We couldn't even buy our way into a rehab. Crazy. Absolutely. And, and why, and why wouldn't, they, oh, because he didn't fit the criteria of being immediately drug addicted. Correct. He hadn't had a needle in his arms for seven days. Therefore they didn't need him. I think he had been clean uh, two weeks at that time. Again, oh. cold turkey, white knuckle. Yeah. So what of him and this experience do you keep alive and bring forward with you now? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, um, I mean, it almost broke you, made you think yeah, of suicide. Yeah. And and yet when these tragedies happen and we can recover, then something in it helps us actually go forward. Not yeah. that we ever wish that any of this ever happened. No, no, I'd give it all back in a second. I give it all back in a second to have him. Um, so a couple of things. Strangely, very strangely, my youngest is very much like him in his mannerisms, in his uh, sense of humor. Um, it's very weird because Garrett really didn't grow up around Nate very much. And it is just like, it is crazy. Um, yeah, his sense of humor especially is almost dead on Nathan, which is kind of strange. Um, and so he'll say something or he'll make a face like my brother. And I'm just like, you look so much like your uncle right now, or your uncle would give you a high five if you, if he was here. 
And so we try to remember him. Um, he had a really dark sense of humor, which I absolutely love. And uh, we've got uh, two urns, that little urns that have part of him in it. And so Bryce's nurse one one time came over and she knocked the urn over and she was like just mortified. She was like, it was feeling, but she was like mortified. She was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so, she was so embarrassed. And I just looked at him, I looked at the urn and I looked at her and I was like, that's okay. He didn't feel it anyway. And then I just laughed like an idiot because that's exactly what kind of joke Nathan would have told, like something really dark, right? And I was like, ah, he didn't feel it anyway. He's good. And I just was like, oh my gosh, like I missed his sense of humor. It was just hilarious. It's so funny. So that's something that I try to keep alive with, you know, every, every day. Um, another thing is him and I had like similar tastes in clothes. So this was actually his. And um, so for the for the audio audience, she's lifting up a, a blue Adidas yeah, sports like a shirt. soccer jersey, it's like a soccer jersey. Um, so when I made it to Oklahoma, 12 hours after he passed, um, I went with my uncle to clean out his apartment because I didn't want my parents finding spoons and needles. And I just I wanted to save them of that. And so I grabbed this because this was his favorite shirt. And I tried to steal it a few times and I never could get it. So I was like, well, now you can't say anything, buddy. So here we go. And um, yeah, fair game. So this actually is with me all the time. I, I've, I've slept with it every night um, since then. So I keep it with me. It's kind of like my little security blanket of my brothers. Um, yeah, and I just try to honor him by helping others. Um, it's something that I was passionate about. He was passionate about. He wanted to go into psychology at one point in time uh, because it fascinated him. He was fascinated by his own mental illness. Uh, he tried to help others around him, um, his friends that struggled as well. And um, I just try to honor that with him by, by making an impact and, and keeping that uh, fire going um, every day every day well good for so. you and and cool so time. even though you've had tears well up talking about how you're keeping his spirit alive you have this big uh smile on your face and you you know it's just like it, it isn't the human experience really weird how we can have such juxtapositions of things and how incredibly tenacious we can be. What from your Resilient. childhood gave you that, that helped you through all this? Um, so I grew up in the Air Force. My dad was military. Mm -hmm. um, and so we moved every three years of my life from the time I was a baby. Um, when was the last time I moved with them? I think I was 21. Um, so that's a lot of moves. And we lived everywhere from Alaska, Arizona. I mean, we lived a million places, Germany. Um, and so I think that experience has led me to be very resilient because every two and a half to three years of my life, I started over. Mm. New friends, new place new culture or new, you know, whatever. Um, and so 
for me, I think it did a world of good, but I'm also an extrovert for my brother. Um, for the middle brother, it's kind of a, it might be a chaotic neutral, like some good, some bad. So it kind of evens itself out. And then for Nathan, I think that it was a detriment for him. It felt really in, instable and some unstable and it, and it caused a lot of internal instability um, for him. But he's also, he also was a, a, a complete introvert. So um, I think that for me, that was a strength. And I know that life can turn on a dime and it can also start again on a dime. And so, yeah, you just gotta, if, any, if, if Bryce has taught me anything, it's how to handle life with grace. Because if he can wake up grateful every day to be alive, then what the hell am I complaining about? Honestly, he survived so many illnesses, illnesses that have killed others. Um, he's been held down, poked, prodded. I mean, medically, R-A-P-E-D in some aspects of my head, you know, because it was against his will, against his consent. It had to be done. And he was too little to understand that. All he knew was it hurt. And all he knew was he didn't have bodily autonomy. Right. And so, you know, again, if he had been sullen and angry, uh, I would have understood. But he's not. He's, you, just, you just saw him kiss me on the cheek. Um, even mm -hmm. at 18, he kisses his mama. Um, so, man, if he can look on life and just be good, I can be good too. For sure. For sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, this has been really interesting. It's been fascinating. I'm so sorry about your brother. It's just these stories are just too tragic to, to you. The, I mean, sorry is like such an understatement, right? No, I appreciate it. it what, I mean, nobody knows what to say, right? Nobody knows what to say. I think that's brilliant. Thank you, Julie. I really appreciate that. I really do. And, and I'm so glad that you're doing so well after all, you know, with your, your son. So for episode one, we talked about her son and that was this incredible ordeal and that he survived and he's doing well. And I mean, what an amazing story that it's is amazing kid yeah he's an amazing kid for sure for sure so what are um what are first of all um what what do you do how can people find you online and what are a couple of takeaways you'd like to leave us with yeah so i have become a transformational self-love coach hey stacy what the hell does that mean that means if you feel alone in a room full of people who claim to love you that we should talk that means if you and your partner are living two separate lives under the same house, we should talk. If that means that you beat the crap out of yourself on a daily basis, we should talk. And um, if you're not ready for that, that's okay. Go to my website, a few short minutes coaching.com um, and download my step-by-step -step guide to self-love. There's even a 30-day self-love journey challenge in there. Um, with really easy things to do, like today, drink one extra glass of water. So it's not so overwhelming because I know your life is really full. I know you don't have the gas 
I, I know I've been there. I've been there. Um, what I didn't know was a lot of it was my own making. And so let me help you. Let me help you get out of it. I've learned so many things in the last few years from my own journey and then my certifications um, that, yeah, this is who I want to help is women like, like me. Mm -hmm. so you don't necessarily have to have a medically fragile child, um, but just if you're lost, right? And you're resentful and you kind of hate your life, let's talk. You don't have to, you don't have to be stuck. I promise you there's other ways. Um, so a few short minutes, coaching.com, uh, Stacy short, S T A C E Y S H O R T on LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, uh, come Instagram. That's also a few short minutes coaching. Um, so come connect, find me. Um, I also recently was published for the first time. The book's called Self-Love Project. It's on Kindle. Go grab that. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Weird. Totally weird. I love it, though. Um, yeah, a few takeaways. I know it's hard right now. I know it's hard right now. But get really honest about yourself and what you do to contribute to the hard. Life's hard. It's hard losing weight. It's hard gaining weight. Uh, it's hard um, being married. It's hard divorcing, right? You've got to choose your hard. Hmm. And when you choose your hard, choose the hard that's going to pay off in the long run in a healthy manner, not what's going to be easier, hard, right? Because if I had chosen the easier heart, I would have stayed married. Um, but I couldn't. I, I just had to get really honest to myself and know that this was not going to work, right? Um, so choose your heart in a way that's going to serve you later. Uh, if you are your own worst enemy, catch it and think. Would I say that to my child? Would I say that to my best friend right now? Would I say this to people I love? And if not, maybe don't, maybe don't listen to it, right? Yeah, maybe don't listen to it. Maybe ask, is this actually true? Because chances are it's not. Um, just a little kind of like anthropological psychology our brains are actually trained to look for negative things. That's right. what we needed to survive when we were cave people and hunters and gatherers and we were out roaming, right? And didn't have houses and apartment buildings. Um, and so your brain actually is negative bias. It's it designed. It's things. designed to look for the negative instead of the positive. Exactly. Because the positive it, doesn't keep you alive under those circumstances. Yeah. So we're not being chased by tigers, okay? And um, you can actually rewire your brain. You can actually rewire your brain to stop those thoughts. And if you want help, come talk, come talk. I've got numerous programs um, that help do that. And I even put Bryce through one and he loved it and he still does it to this day to go to sleep at night. 
um, to kind of bring his brain down and quiet it out. And I think that's amazing. If my 18 year old kid can do it, uh, you can do it for sure. For sure. So yeah, I hope, I hope those are helpful. Those are great. Especially after hearing your story, because you've lived that and you've come through and you are okay. So let's do this snapshot again. So the Stacy after Bryce had stabilized and you started getting a life again. And then the Stacy after your brother died by suicide. And then the Stacy now. Okay, Stacy after Bryce was stabilized. Um was still hurting and trying to numb her pain in a way that wasn't healthy, but also trying to grasp, grab back those lost years. So there was some good, some bad, probably net negative there. Um, but man, it was fun doing it. That was all the partying. Uh, that was all the partying. Yeah, that was all the partying. Um, after in, died, in Vegas, let's, let's in clarify Vegas. In Vegas. that this is in Vegas. actually... Yeah. Yep. Where people all over the world go to do exactly that. So exactly. Exactly. Um, after Nate died. I hate saying this, but I'm pretty sure it's true. I was broken. I hate hearing people like, oh, I'm broken. And I just tell them all the time, no, you're bent. And you can straighten back out. But I I, I was broken. Um, and, and you alluded to this earlier, when people die by suicide, it's not a Nathan-sized hole left in my family. It was a shotgun. It was a bomb. It was an atomic bomb. Um, there are holes in my family now that will never be repaired. Never. I lost part of myself. I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel joy. I felt nothing for two years. Nothing birthdays meh Christmas meh I pretended because I have kids and I wanted them to see a happy mom but um no thank you so much yeah um yeah I didn't feel anything I was broken um and Stacy now is full of grace for herself and others uh she loves herself she knows that healing is a process and i'll never finish um and i and i used to hate that i just wanted to be done right i just wanted to be done healing like why can't i be done um no nah, i'm good i learned something new about myself most days and uh usually that's done through coaching others um, and gosh, I can't think of a better honor than somebody getting vulnerable with me and allowing me to guide them. Like, wow, that's such an honor. And the fact that I get to do that on a daily basis just blows my mind. Um, I've reclaimed who I am at my core. And I, um, I love her a lot more than I used to. I still have some spots, but I love her a lot more than I used to. So yeah, she's pretty happy. She's pretty happy. Oh my goodness. 
Wow, that that's that's a transformation. The future transformations, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good, good for you. What did you love about telling these very difficult stories? Ooh. Um, gosh, did I hope you get it any normalizes. Insight? Well, um, yeah, about the broken thing. Definitely. Because I hate saying that, but I, I it, it was true. It was true. Um, that's how bad it was. That's how bad it was. Um, what do I love about telling these stories? I hope it normalizes it for just one person. I hope, I hope one person hears this and goes, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy feeling this way. Or I'm not crazy being numb. Or, um, you know, oh, the mental load of motherhood. Oh, there's a name for that. Yep, there sure is. There sure is. These are things I never knew. And I thought I was just being a wimp, uh, not being able to handle it all. You know, again, that negative self-talk and that lie about we can do it all, have it all, be it all, right? No, we're not meant to. Put it down. There's not like, at the end of this life, there's not a trophy for carrying the most bullshit. There just isn't. So put it down let it go have your partner pick it up or whatever or it drops the house isn't clean oh well laundry still in the dryer okay you got dishes in the sink brilliant uh my cabinets are an absolute disaster absolute disaster and sometimes i look at them and go man i am such a mess and then sometimes i look at them and go nah, okay so you know just drop it let it go Man, there is just nothing in this world is worth your mental health. Nothing. Nothing. Not all the toys, not all the accolades, not all the awards, not all the love. Uh, nothing. And so if you can't be nice to yourself, know that there is a way out. Thank you for that, Stacy. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. For my pleasure. And I, I really appreciate you showing up. And these are stories that are, especially the suicide, are, you know, not that many people want to say them publicly because it's just too hard. And, and, and it's important that we hear them because it's talking about normalizing so that we can normalize and so we can all start to you know really know how things happen in other families and how society is really shirking but let's not let's not go I could we could talk about yes, we <laughs> talk about society forever so we better hang it up because we're, we're going over time and thank you so much Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for allowing me to be heard and um, and to be seen. What a gift. Thank you. You are welcome. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it 
in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life, your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes. Thank you.